welcome to creating wealth through passive apartment investing podcast in this show we will discuss about best and worst experiences about passive and active apartment investing and i am your host ramakrishna let's begin the show today's our guest is edna cape welcome edna thanks so much for having me Sure. And a little bit about Edna. Edna keeps journey from single mom at age 16, living in subsidized housing with a daughter in subsidized daycare to multi-millionaire real estate entrepreneur and coach inspires others. Her major operations are long-term buy and hold rentals, apartment buildings. Her claim to fame is a 65 million real estate portfolio built with other people's money. A proponent of education and inspiration, Edna offers live training with her free real estate coaching Fridays and Mindset Monday live events on Facebook each week. So with that, Edna, would you like to share me your journey to multi-millionaire real estate investor? Sure. Do you want me to start with just kind of how I got in- introduced to real estate? Yes. And also if you want to add anything to that introduction. Yeah. Sure. Uh, well, you know what? We uh, we got in. I used to be a financial advisor. I was a financial advisor for 15 years. And how I ended up getting interested in real estate is I had clients that were coming in and wanting to redeem their mutual funds to uh, get into real estate. And uh, at the time, the market that, that we live in, in Saskatchewan, Canada, had averaged about a 3% increase a year inflationary uh, for 50 years. And, and so my first thing to well, why would you want to invest in an asset class that only pays you 3% a year. And I really did not understand real estate. So, you know, a couple uh, clients took some time to educate me a little bit and, uh, and basically told me I should get educated on it. So we ended up taking, uh, first of all, an evening introduction course uh, through the Robert Kiyosaki group. And then we took a three-day weekend, which is really where we got our eyes opened to the possibilities in real estate. And, you know, even then my husband had a trucking company. I'd been working as a financial advisor for 15 years. We had no intention of leaving, but uh, once I got really involved in real estate, we ended up owning 50 doors in 18 months and we were cash flowing 5,000 a month and had built a net worth of a million dollars in just about 18 months. And it had taken me 15 years to build a net worth in uh, mutual funds because it kept going up and down and up and down. And uh, kind of around the time we started looking at real estate, it was down uh, just because of everything that was going on in the market. But you know, after getting to really understand real estate uh, and our last purchase is the one that took us to 50 doors, we bought a 24 unit apartment building, we really knew we had something. And, you know, I got to the point where I could not even sell mutual funds because once I understood real estate and in particular investing in apartment buildings, it it made no sense to uh, try to sell people into mutual funds anymore. Cool. And thank you. Thanks for sharing that. And what do you share your thought process of getting into, instead of single families, why one need to go straight into multifamily? Well, we actually started in single family, but people have asked me, if you were to start over again today, Edna, what would you do different? And I said, well, we'd go straight into multifamily. So we've kept our, our single family homes just because we can't qualify for any mortgages and they're doing decently and, and there's just no point in, in selling them. We have them property managed and stuff. But when we really started to realize that we were going to be able to scale this is when we started buying apartment buildings. Our first apartment building purchase in, our, uh, in the city we live in was a 24 unit. And 
and you know we've seen the exponential increase in um, in cash flow. We actually ended up condo converting that building, and uh, we bought it for seventy five thousand a door, and uh, we were selling them around one hundred and forty thousand dollars a door. And uh, we never did sell all of them just because of the timing in the market and stuff. But my partner ended up keeping keeping a few of them, and uh, still has them as rental properties, and he has the other part still as as sold condos, mostly to investors, people who had bought uh, single single condos and then rented them out. But it was when we got into multifamily that, uh, first of all, what I, what I like about multifamily is it's treated like a business. It's it's financed like a business and it's treated like a business. So the uh, financing takes place based on income, less expenses. So net operating income is what they're checking out to see if the building can support the mortgage and whatnot. And I also found that uh, investors like department building investing because it did seem more like a business as opposed to single family homes. Plus with single family homes, we found that most people, once they got to three or four, they couldn't even qualify for mortgages anymore. You know, uh, back in the day when we started, because we started in 2007, we were actually able to qualify for like 15 mortgages for, for houses. And some of them are duplexes, some of them are fourplexes, stuff like that. But then when we got to that point, we were cut right off. We couldn't even buy any more houses. And at this point, we still wouldn't even be able to. Not that we'd want to. We really like investing in apartment buildings. And we syndicate those mortgages and bring in investor capital. And so we have a lot of passive investment partners that, again, is all part of our scaling. We can use their net worth and their ability to get uh, you know more and more mortgages to scale and scale. And now we're at 778 doors. Got it. And thank you. Thanks for sharing that. So what is financial freedom means to you and how one need to plan financial freedom within like five years and stuff going with 40 years or 30 years plans? You know, my number one way I, that I like to think of financial freedom, and it's way different than what we were taught to advise people on when I was a financial advisor. So that was the 40-year plan. You put your money away, you save it, you put it in the stock market and you let it grow and you let it grow and you let it grow and you dollar cost average into the market and then you dollar cost average out of the market. Since then, I actually love Robert Kiyosaki's definition of financial freedom. And that is when your passive income coming in from your rental real estate is more than your day-to-day expenses because that's when you're officially out of the rat race. And you know, have you ever played that uh, game, Robert Kiyosaki? game called Cashflow 101. I think so. Yeah, I played a lot of times. Yeah. And you know that part where you flip the board and you're out of the rat race and you're playing in the big leagues and, and you're uh, it seems like every deal you get is paying you 5000 a month or 10000 a month or you know different stuff like that. You know what? That's what it's like in the real world. When you're struggling and running around there just trying to keep food on the table and, and you know your car payment and your house payment and your kids and all their programs and stuff, you know, you, you don't even have time to think and, and get around like-minded people who can offer you the larger opportunities. So what we found is when we got out of the rat race, all of a sudden we were just like inuated with different opportunities that we couldn't even see while we were still working on the financial freedom portion, you know? So if people can, you know, keep their expenses low and, and it's kind of funny in that game, I used to want to be the doctor or the lawyer, the ones who are making the big income because I was used to making a big income. But what I learned is it's actually easier for the janitor and the secretary to get out of the rat race because their expenses weren't so high. Like even if you had 
had a child, if you had a child when you were in the game, a janitor, your child costs you like, I think, 160 a month. You had a child as a doctor, your child cost you $800 a month. And you know what? That is exactly what happens in real life. People get into debt, they buy the nicest cars, they put their kids in the nicest programs and on and on and on. So the typical financial advisor and the typical whole wealth building strategy really focuses on keeping you in the debt. So keeping you so that you have to go to work every day of your life. But if you can get past that, that's where the real freedom lies as far as I'm concerned. Awesome. Awesome. And thank you. Thanks for sharing that. So how one can create 5,000 per month or more passive income stream in three to five years? What would you share thought process? Well, you know what? Remember I told you at the beginning, we created our first 5,000 a month in 18 months. And it was because we were buying cash flowing real estate. And, you know, some people buy properties for appreciation uh, and they put money into it every month, you know, kind of like your own personal home. It's really not classified as an asset. Like, like Robert Kiyosaki says, your own personal home is not actually an asset. What you want is you want an asset that other people are paying off for you. And that was, that's a power of real estate. Again, you qualify for the financing and you own the building, but your tenants really are paying the mortgage off. So that is really key to uh, part of that. And, you know, as long as you concentrate on cash flowing real estate. And I mean, sometimes it takes a while to get there. Like the buildings we just bought in Memphis, we paid 21,600 a door. Uh, it was highly vacant. The people that had owned it, it just kind of lost interest and left it in charge with the property managers. And next thing you know, it's, you know, 30% vacant and really getting run down. So what we do is we go in and we renovate, upgrade, and then we get new tenants in and take care of the building, take care of the tenants. And that really gives you good return on your investment initially but also gives you really good uh, long-term cash flow. So the idea there is to get the cash flow. So I have students I've actually beat my 18 months. I've had students get to 8,500 a month uh, within their first year of working with me. Now they bought four buildings and they, they had partners too. So they, they didn't get the whole thing, but $8,500 a month cash flow coming from their buildings. And the sweet part there too is the cash flow like you can spend, but you also have mortgage paid out every month which a lot of time is like seven, six, seven, eight percent a year. And, you know, I always think of that as kind of like my, my security or, you know, we never say guarantee, but like the, the solid part of my investment. So matter, no matter what happens in the market, the mortgage is always going to get paid. Well, where else can you get six, seven, eight percent on your money just through mortgage pay down? And then you have cash flow and then you have appreciation and then you can force appreciation by increasing rents over time and, and decreasing um, expenses and stuff like that. So the, the idea is there is, you know, you can be totally financially free three to five years, but you can also get your cash flow, uh, like, you know, in one building. I have one of my students, um, her very first building, she bought it undervalued. Seven of the nine units were vacant. And after she renovated and increased the value of the property, she was able to, I think she paid 1.1 for it, put in 200,000 of renovations. She refinanced it at 1.85 plus makes 5,500 a month in cash flow. So that made all the difference for her because uh, one building, one little nine unit building is paying her $5,500 a month and it's recurring. It's not like you have to go out and work for it again and again and again. Once that's coming in, it's coming in again and again. And then on top of that, she's probably making that much all over again, just a mortgage pay down. Got it. Thank you. Thanks for sharing that. And so how to leverage other people's time, money and knowledge 
You know what? I love that uh, because like I coach and train people now, but I had my biggest breakthrough, even as a financial advisor, when I first hired a coach. Um, so that's a way to really leverage other people. You hire a coach has already been there, done that. I mean, I've, I've never hired a coach just to have a cheerleader. Oh, you can do that. You can do this. Da, da, da. I hire coaches who've been there, done that. So people who've done what I want to do, whatever that happens to be. And that's been my biggest shortcut. So that's leveraging other people's knowledge. Like I don't have enough hours in, in the day and time in my life to make every mistake out there and learn through trial and error, you know, and I see people do it all the time. They don't want to spend any money on coaching. They don't want to spend any money on training and, and they trial and error and they might buy a building, but, you know, having a coach in your corner, they can show you and your blind spots. Cause a lot of times we have blind spots that we're just not seeing and they can see that in you because they're generally dealing from a, you know, high level than we are. And that's so huge. So that's one way to leverage uh, other people's knowledge and to leverage other people's time assistance, virtual assistance. I have an operations manager that looks after all the technical side for me because uh, I'm not very techie. And yet I do just put everything on the computer nowadays, but he's there for me. I can call him up and go, you know, why, why is my Facebook login not working? Oh, we had to do a double authentication thing. You know what I mean? So there having other people's knowledge in whatever it is that you're trying to do is so very crucial. It, it cuts your time frame way down, like I'd say a 10th, just working with people who already have done what you want to do. And then the other thing is get around like-minded people because, you know, we're all going to make mistakes. We're going all going to have errors. We're all going to have challenges. And being around like-minded people who can say, yeah, you know what? I went through that. This is how I came out of it. And yeah, it was challenging at the time, but don't think of it as devastating. It's just one of those things that, you know, learning curve, new level, new devil. Every time you go through something, it changes your business. A lot of times that failure or that challenge is the best thing that could happen to you because that's what pushes you on to the next level. So that's how I've really been able to leverage other people's besides you leveraging other people's money, which is a big thing in real estate. And, and I think what you really need to do in order to be able to scale, but leveraging the time, the knowledge. I even, I have a sales assistant now. I have an operations manager. I have people that do all my, you know, uh, reaching out on Facebook and Instagram and LinkedIn. And and it's amazing how much stuff can get done in a day and uh, you're not the one doing it. And all these people actively working on your business just allows you to grow faster and quicker and faster and better. Because you know what, if I had to do those reach outs on Facebook and LinkedIn and stuff myself, I might get, you know, two, three, maybe five done in a day if I'm working my buns off every day and they can do like the maximum in a day. And I just find that so amazing to be able to leverage other people's uh, time and knowledge that way and that is so true and so powerful also and thank you thanks for sharing that yeah you're welcome yeah would you share any of your best multifamily or real estate investing experience so far well, you know what? First of all, I want to reiterate that, uh, you know, most of our deals are average deals. Uh, one of the very first mentors that I had, he wasn't actually a coach, but he ran a mentoring group where you could show up for meetings and they did monthly trainings and stuff like that. And I still remember and hold this in my heart at all times is most of your deals will be average deals. He said, I built my biggest net worth just from average deals and long-term buy and hold. And he said the, the biggest portion, he said, I did have a few home runs 
fans, but there's people out there that are shooting for the home run all the time. But you know, we, we had a couple uh, early, really good success stories. So one was um, we bought a 24 unit apartment building that was very under rented, like in, in our area at the time, the average rents were about 800 a month. And we were able to take possession of the property, renovate every one of the units because it hadn't been renovated since it was built like in 1964. We even had an original tenant from 1964 still living in the building. But we renovated and increased the rents across the board. We refinanced that property, had our investors fully paid out in 18 months. And uh, we had a, you know, a nice cash flowing property, I think four or 5,000 a month each from, from myself, my managing partner, and then the investors. So there was a lot of, a lot of cash flow coming out of that building. And then, so that was one, and that was very sweet. And that was probably about the quickest we turned around a larger building like that. And then in 2012, we actually bought uh, 144 units in small town Saskatchewan, in Northern Saskatchewan. And at the time, um, I was also involved in exempt market, uh, in the exempt market world, and I was selling exempt market products. So first of all, I went to different uh, people who owned REITs. And I was thinking, oh, this is probably something a REIT would like to be part of. And we wanted to partner with them. But in most cases, I got shut down saying, oh, that's too small of an area. We like to concentrate on the, on the larger areas. But you know, we ended up just getting local people to invest. And uh, we raised $1.2 million in 36 months from the time that we um, bought that property till the time we were able to refinance. 36 months, we pulled out all the capital, paid all the investors back. My my managing partner and I each took a $400,000 payday tax-free because it was a loan. And the building to this day is paying that loan off and uh, cash flowing around $6,000 a month, our share. So the managing partner is about the same and then the investors just a little bit less. But those two I would consider kind of home runs for us. So we did really well. We still own them to this day. Or one of them we sold out, but the other one we still own to this day, the 144 unit. We're just actually going through uh, refinance 10 years out, right? And then a, another one that we feel is really going to be a home run for us is, is these units we just want in Memphis, Tennessee. You know, in, in Canada, in some of the major cities here right now, we can't buy a parking spot like in Toronto or Vancouver for 20000 And we're buying apartment building doors at 21600 Now, our plan is to put about 16000 in door in, into them for renovations and upgrades and stuff. But you know, that we think is going to be a home run for us because if we were to sell it and we don't think we're going to, uh, but or sell or refinance, we're probably going to do that between fifty-five and sixty thousand a door. So that's a pretty good uh, return on our money. We'll get all our investors paid out and just have a cash flowing asset. Awesome. So, would you also share any of your challenging or what is multifamily experience so far? Sure. We had a building that we had a, a managing partner on. So they had actually brought the building to us and they were in the construction industry. So they said, oh, we can do all the work in the building and, and we can manage it and we can do all the renovations and stuff like that. Well, you know, I, I'm not even 100% sure because generally with our managing partners, we let them run it. But the, the managing partner brought in a caretaker that was gang related and our building ended up being full of gang members. I still remember like, like we finally got them out and got a new, new property manager in, but it, that took a really big toll on us because they, you know, we had police, you know, raiding the apartment building for drugs and guns and all this kind of stuff. And I was even scared for my property manager to be in there. You know, we wouldn't even walk through the building, you know? So with that, what, 
I would recommend people is be very careful the area that you buy in. Be very careful the managing partners you bring in because sometimes people talk a good game and can't deliver. And then be very who your property managers are because you let a property manager manage your uh, building and bring in gang members. Well, though they're hard to get out of there because they're they're like squatters almost, you know. Yeah, awesome. And thank you. Thanks for sharing that. And what is your current focus and share something you're excited about now? You know what? My biggest focus, Rama, and I, and I love doing this, is working with my students. Like I'm buying all the time vicariously through my students. I help them, uh, you know, analyze their deals and, and put the executive summaries together, potential investors and stuff like that. So that's my favorite part. But at the same time, I have a partner that is actively looking for uh, multifamily investments in the U.S. because that's kind of our market right now. And we're looking in Jacksonville, Florida, still around Memphis. Tennessee because there's some good markets there. Our target is really workforce housing. So we like to go where the jobs are and and the workforce housing tenants are. Uh, We don't like to deal with social services tenants either in Canada or the US. We just find that there's that many more issues. But the good solid workforce people, the people that we want to provide uh, clean, safe, affordable housing for. Got it. Thank you. So any one advice that impacted you, Edna? The, the parting advice, you know what, don't be scared to invest in yourself because any knowledge that you get is only going to help you, help you move ahead. And, and I know myself, the, the best money we've ever spent. I've never been without a coach in, since 1999. I got my first coach when I was still a financial advisor. I've never been without one because there's just things that they see that you're blind to opportunities, challenges. And, and I love having somebody in my corner who's, uh, who's, who I can brainstorm with and, and stuff like that as well. Awesome. Thank you. And so any personal habits that are helping you to be successful? Yes, I, I'm a big proponent of mindset. I believe that mindset is 90% of our success. And it doesn't matter where you are in life, whether you're, you know, making 100,000 a year, and you want to go to 200,000 a year, or, or back in the day, like I was making $1,200 a month, and now I can get that much from one tenant, you know, wherever you're moving from one level to another, it's new level, new devil, you have to think differently, you have to change as a person. And again, the best way to do that is to get around like-minded people. But I study mindset a lot. Like I have a mindset coach, one that just, you know, teaches about minus mindset, really getting to understand how the universe and how I co-create with the universe. All that kind of stuff has really, really helped me uh, keep growing over the years. And, you know, goals, when you set goals, and I and I think that's happens, people are challenged by that over the years. They get to a certain level of success and they stop setting goals. And then they think they're going to just stay in that position. But in reality, they go backwards, because if you're not moving forward, you're moving backwards. And so I'm always setting new goals, new goals and challenging myself, whatever it happens to be. And that is something that people should really wrap their heads around is uh, we we are goals are meant uh, for us to grow, not to get. And uh, so always be setting new goals. And I also find that the happiest people out there, the happiest and the most successful are ones that are continually setting new goals. Yeah, perfect. And any one book that impacted your life and what way? You know, my favorite book of all times was uh, a book by Robert Kiyosaki, and it was called Why Do A Students Work for C Students and B Students Work for the Government? And you know the reason why I like that book so much? (laughs) 
I was a C student all through school. And you know, in, in school, you get no credit for being a C student. Like everybody wants it. And, and nowadays it's starting to change a bit. I had a, I have a teacher in my, uh, in my, uh, training right now who said you know we we teach a lot different nowadays and i said yeah but the majority of us going through what we're going through now we're taught the old school way oh you should get all a's and don't fail and get all a's and and all this kind of stuff what i realized after reading that book is the reason reason a students work for c students is because c students a lot of times are the visionaries we couldn't you know excel in learning because you know first of all if it's not an interest how do you really excel at that and yet students would just they a students they could just learn whatever but they're also limited by that learning ability i find so what got them their a's in high school is not what's going to make them multimillionaire real estate investor in the future and when i really understood that after reading that book it, it made me realize that everything that i've been taught in school that was supposed to be a negative is actually my strength and you know that's something that uh, i work with my students on too is you know we can't all be good at everything that's why partners are so valuable and your team members are so valuable. So you have to be able to build relationships with people and have it be win-win for everybody. And that book was a real life changer for me. Awesome. So how are you giving back to community, Edna? You know what? My number one way is by sharing with people what we did. You know, we were able to to build our portfolio to 50 doors and 5,000 a month in uh, 18 months. And uh, we did that through some trial and error and starting with single family homes. So in, in my program, when I teach people, that's what I teach now is how to get into apartment building investing and how to be building that first 5,000 a month in cash flow so that uh, you can potentially get out of the rat race and start doing what you really love to do and do it on an ongoing uh, full-time basis. Cool. And thank you. So how can listeners can connect with you? Uh, the best way is uh, through my website and it's just ednakeep.com. I'm on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, every every platform out there. My, my assistants do most of it, but uh, all under Edna Keep. And it's so easy to remember, just uh, you'll have the spelling of my name in your show notes, but E-D-N-A-K-E-E-P. And uh, they can find me very, very easily just by Googling. I'm on YouTube and I'm on, like I said, on all the social media platforms as well. Awesome. Awesome. And thank you very much. And I really enjoyed the conversation. Oh, good. You're, you're most welcome. It was my pleasure. Yeah. Thank you. If you like the show, please subscribe, share, rate, and review. And if you want to connect with me, please send me a message info at ushacapital.com. Thank you for listening. Creating Wealth Through Passive Apartment Investing Podcast. I hope you learned something from the show. See you in the next episode. Thank you. Any information provided from these shows are educational purpose only. As always, please consult with your own CPA, legal and financial advisor before investing.